0: So now I'm going to welcome up Van, our senior pastor, to give the message today.
1: Thanks, Amanda. Hey, good morning, everyone. Well, we're going to start a new series today called Power Outside the Walls. And uh, when we say that, what we mean is this power outside the walls of the church. Uh, right into the lives where, where uh, of people in our lives and in our communities, right where the hurt is. And so th- that's the first meaning of it, power outside the walls of the church body. But we think also it's going to have an effect of releasing power in our lives personally beyond some of the walls that we've built up. And, you know, we all have limits, we all have places that we feel like, why well, can't step beyond that or... Or maybe we don't even think that, we just feel that, and and we feel uncomfortable in in stepping beyond a a certain point in our lives in helping others. What we want to do is help all of us to take a step ahead in our following of Jesus, but in bringing the life and power of the gospel into people's lives in our community. So... People need the power of God There's no question about that We have a short video we're going to watch Of interviews of people out on the street This is an Alpha video Video. If, you're not, if you've never taken Alpha It gives you a little taste of what happens In Alpha, but let's run that video right now um, Who's Jesus? I have no idea who Jesus is I don't know if it exists, but I believe in him I think it's a Person who lived ages ago who is jesus he is the son of god in the christian faith
0: jesus for me is uh is also a prophet he probably was just some fella who walked around with a beard and pretended to and a bottle of wine in his back pocket and switched the water with the wine a couple of times and everyone loved him Jesus to me is somebody we got taught about in infants and junior school really. it's how many millions
1: people celebrating his birthday. No one celebrates my birthday like that, so it surely you must have existed.
0: <laughs> Jesus is uh, my God. He's someone that, you know, I can relate to, I can pray to, I can talk to. The son of God, <laughs> but apparently we are all God's children. So then what is so great about Jesus? Hmm.
1: Wow. Well, am I glad we lost that English accent when we started America. <laughs> all right, we can get the lights back up there, guys. Um, when we say this, when we look at this, uh, and hear something like this, you know, people are all over the map in their opinions and in their, their views and beliefs, and in, in fact, it's a real fair thing to say that our culture is shifting, or let's say even it has shifted from the time I was born when th- there was more of a base of Judeo-Christian ethic and values at the foundation of things, that's no longer the case. And, and as a culture, we don't look there for our direction. Culture today doesn't consider the church to be the bastion of truth, or righteousness, or character, or honor. It's not the place where people go automatically think of going for wisdom or help. And, and and as we face that, we need to ask ourselves, well, what is the role of the church in today's culture? And are we thinking about how power goes outside the walls in the right way? So I think most people even... Associate the message of Christ, uh, even as we hear here, uh, with more of a set of rules. I think that's predominant in in American culture anyway. People look at at Christianity and say, well, it's a certain set of rules, and Buddhism has its own rules, and Islam has another set of rules, and therefore Christianity is just another religious approach, just just another religion. But um, we need to know that part of this whole shift. Is the way we actually view truth and I'm going to look at it from a particular angle here today And I'm going to say that we used to be a culture that was based Well, you would call it you could call it a guilt-based culture Now I know when I say that you might think oh well, that's horrible to be a guilt-based culture, but it's really not It it, it, in in fact a guilt-based culture is based upon absolute truth That there is right and there is wrong and if you do the wrong thing, you're guilty. You might not feel guilty, depending upon how sensitive your conscience is, but there's, there is real culpability. Now the, the thing about that is, if, if it is my decision to, to, to step over the boundaries of right and wrong and do this thing that is wrong, if that, if, if that makes me guilty, then what the focus is on is on personal responsibility. And if I'm personally responsible, then there's hope. I can look at myself and I can say, well, okay, there's hope. Because I can choose not to do that. Now, our culture today has shifted into what we would call a shame-based culture. Where it's, it's, it's not about a standard of truth. There's no absolute standard of truth. And in fact, the whole thing boils down to what the community itself thinks. And if you don't agree with the community then the community points a finger at you and says there's something wrong with you. You are different. You're an outsider. And so a shame-based culture doesn't focus on responsibility. It really attacks the identity of the person. And so in our culture today, you see this in politics, in in all of the arguments, uh, in all the headlines and everything else. But guilt says you did something wrong... Shame says there's something wrong with you. And if that's true, then I'm, I'm pretty much hopeless. Because if there's something wrong with me, then I can't fix what is wrong with me, if that's what I am. And, and so today the, the whole culture is focused more and more and more on heaping shame on people. And so our culture has a real identity issue today. There's there's a real identity crisis in the hearts and minds of people, and when we consider how we how we share the gospel with people, we have to be aware of that. And I, in fact, I think this is what's behind the whole heroin epidemic, that uh, people have no hope because it, we live in a shame based culture and they they feel like I'm different, there's something wrong with me, and therefore. If if there's something wrong with me and I can't stand myself, the only thing I can do is try to get away from myself. And, and I can't fix myself, so I get a fix. And then that puts me in another world long enough that I, that I can be away from myself, even though, even though that other world is horrible and the life itself is horrible. But in a culture like this, when we're facing this, if all we have are words, if all, if, if all, if all Christianity is, is a reasonable explanation for creation, or a, a theology about the Godhead, or even a way to get to heaven when you die, if that's all it is, then it's irrelevant to our culture today. Because our culture is not going to respond to clear, well-thought-out arguments, In a guilt-based culture, it's more, there's more clear, well-thought-out argument response. That's why, like in the 70s, when I came to know Jesus, you could share somebody, you could share the gospel with somebody and give them reasons. You know, Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict. The evidence demands a verdict. If you see these points of evidence, then you have to decide. And yet today, uh, evidence doesn't demand a verdict. That people would just say, well, that's your evidence. I have other evidence. Or I, I, you know, it, it's, in, in a shame-based culture, it's a totally different approach to truth and to life. And so, we have to have power. If we, if we have a powerless Christianity, then uh, we're, we're not going to have much of an impact. Now, even a powerless Christianity still has the gospel, and the gospel itself does have power, and so there'll still be people saved. But, for us to fulfill everything god 's called us to, we need to press into more and that 's why, for every individual, every one of us, we need to press into more, more of more of the life of Jesus, more of understanding the holy Spirit in me that 's why we do the sokcombm class that 's why we do alpha uh, th- they both really really lead into a deeper relationship with the holy spirit that 's why we have uh, men like Paul Vanderbush, who we had here. Uh, just a week ago for a couple of nights, and just powerful messages, uh, truth that was revelatory, that was, just rocks your world. And in, in fact, I wanted to tell you this, if you weren't able to hear Paul, we videoed his messages, and the first video for the first message is up on our website. So you can go to the website... You can check out that video. Uh, the podcast is also up, so you can listen to it on podcast. Next week, we'll have the second message up, and then the, uh, three weeks, we'll have the third message up. It takes a lot of editing to get those up. Now, the Apostle Paul, who was an early follower of Jesus, wrote a lot of the New Testament. He, everywhere he went, there were displays of power, not only in, in his preaching, powerful preaching, but as well, power through healing and uh, demonic deliverance and release of people. And so Paul went from city to city and he would leave behind churches everywhere he went. But then what happened was other people came in and, um, and, and they would preach something just a little bit different than Paul or they would challenge Paul's thinking or they would challenge Paul's character on some basis trying to get the, all the people there that were believers to follow them. And so Paul at one point in 1 Corinthians 4.20 He's talking about these people, and he says this, he says, When I come, we will have a face-to-face f- face face with them, and then he says, Then we'll see, because he said this in verse four, 1 Corinthians 4.20, He said, The kingdom of God does not consist of words, but of power. He says, The kingdom of God is not made up of words. It's not just ideas, it is Power. And you can read in that in the context. It's not simply words. Because there are powerful words. And words can be anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we want to speak words that are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And are the right word that God wants spoken at the right time in the right way. When that happens, those words are going to be powerful. But what Paul's saying is it isn't simply a matter of arguments. He says there's more to it. It's not just words, but it's words that come with the anointing of God's power. And further, it is words that come with works of power. And you see both in the life of Jesus. In um, John 7, 46, here's what we read. Uh, These officers have been sent out to arrest Jesus. They go, they find Jesus, they come back, and the Jewish leaders that sent them say, well, where is he? And here's the answer they give. I picture it like they're kind of like dumbfounded as they say this. Uh, The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like him. Now, they weren't referring to his vocabulary or his sentence structure. They were referring to the life and the power that came with his words. So they just, they, they listened and they couldn't arrest him. Because his words themselves contained the power of God. And so words need to be Powerful. But as well in the life of Jesus, you see acts of power. Everywhere Jesus went, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and then he performed miracles or freed people from demonic presence and and, and demonic oppression. In fact, you read about that in Mark one twenty seven. It says uh, Jesus has just um, been ministering and people are being healed and he's teaching. and, and, And the people are saying this, what is this? They said, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So they're saying, hey, this is something new. We've never seen this before. What the heck is going on? Here is this guy who speaks, and when he speaks, you feel the authority and the presence of God coming with his words. And then not only that, but he actually backs it up by commanding demons to leave, and they leave just like that. And so it was... Powerful words combined with acts and demonstrations of power. And so Jesus did that everywhere he went. He proclaimed the kingdom and then he healed the sick. He proclaimed the kingdom and he fed those that were hungry. He proclaimed the kingdom and he delivered the demonized. So that there is this power that we want to take outside the walls, not only in in healing, but in word and healing. In word and demonstration of power. And as you look at that, you you really see that the the whole focus of this series is power outside the walls, power-filled words, and power over Satan as well. Hey, let's just say this all together, okay? I'm going to say this phrase, and I'll count to three, and we'll say it all together, okay? It's not just words, but power. That's what we're going to say. Not just words, but power. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Not just words, but power. Let's say it again. Not just words, but power. And one more time. Not just words, but power. And th- that's what we're shooting for. That's what I'm convinced our culture needs today. And it will become more and more and more evident over the course of the next five, ten years. 15 years, and so that, that's why we're doing this series, because we believe that God's called us as a church body. We believe in, in, a, in, a, in one sense God's called all churches to power, and any, any church that's preaching the gospel, as I already said, there's power there, but we really believe God's called us to press into this whole concept of actually really being intent on following Jesus and doing what He did. And carrying it to the streets, and carrying it into the lives of our neighborhoods, and carrying it into the lives of people in our workplaces. And, and so, we, we, we've, we've, this is what Jesus is saying to us, that, that we need to lead the way in this as a church body, that we can't just hang back, but we need to lead the way in, in this whole thing. So, realize power comes through what? Power comes through compassion. Compassion. All right, it flows through compassion, uh, experiencing the heart of God for people, understanding how God the Father's heart is moved towards people. When we can engage with his compassion, then power will begin to flow. If, if all I'm intent on is, oh, I got to go out and heal somebody because, you know, Van said to, or if, if, I'm, if I'm on the prayer team or uh, in some situation and I'm just thinking oh I gotta have power God give me power give me power and, we, and we're looking at we're looking at power and people more as objects as as a project God never looks at people as a project he, he looks at them all as sons and daughters lost sons and daughters who need him he wants them he wants them back and so when we can tie into his heart of compassion then we will begin to see, we'll begin to hear God speak more clearly and more frequently, but we will also see more power flow. And so how do you do that? How do you, how do you gain a heart of compassion for other people? Well, just one instance of Jesus um, and, and compassion in Matthew 14, 14. Here's what we read. It says, when he went ashore, uh, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He had compassion, so he healed their sick. Another place it it talks about Jesus having compassion, and because he had compassion on them, they were like sheep without a shepherd. He taught them many things, he taught them God's secrets. Another place, he says, I feel compassion for the crowd, the multitude, because they've gone all this time without eating, and so that's where they have this miracle of the multiplication of the bread and the fish. But it's compassion with the one man that came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lays it all out for him, and he walks away saying, no, I can't do that. And it says, Jesus felt compassion for him. And so compassion is the lead thing always in our contact outside the walls. And so we, we need to be cultivating that. We need to be praying and asking God, God, give me a heart of compassion. Show me your heart for that person. Show, show me your heart for what, how, what this person's going through. I hear their problem. I hear their pain. And wh- how, how are you responding at a heart level to them, Father? Show me, show me your heart for them. And even ask God to show you how that person's really, truly responding at a heart level because they probably aren't revealing that to you. But when you can have the heart of God and you begin to see where their heart is broken, then compassion flows. And when those two things connect, power flows. Power flows. So... Um, Lori and I were um, on vacation here uh, about a month ago. We went down to a Red River Gorge. And we were out at this one uh, high area right by a cliff. And Lori likes to draw. Anytime we go on vacation, we go out usually for one afternoon. She draws someplace and I sit and read. So she's sitting clo- closer to the edge of the cliff than I am, believe me. <laughs> and she's drawing. And I'm back as far away as I can get from the edge of the cliff reading. And you know, every, people come up, and like, let's say that's a 500-foot drop, they just walk right up like this and look over, and I had to tell myself, I don't know these people, if any of them fall, it's no loss. You know, I, I, I just, I just can't take ownership for whether or not they stumble off the edge of that cliff, because I want to yell at everybody and say, get packed from the edge. But we're, we're there, and, uh, and then, uh, one man came up, and he looked around, and then he walked over to a rock that was back from the cliff about 20 feet, and there was a, a rock face, and he wrote on it in chalk. And Laurie heard, I, we both heard him doing that, could see him moving, didn't see what he had written. And Laurie looked at me like, what's up with that guy? And I thought, looked back, yeah, what's up with that guy? He must, he's not socialized, or he's, he's like a barbarian. He doesn't know how to obey the rules. Didn't he read the stuff that says no writing on the, on the stones? and so um, so we both kind of gave each other that look and then as the day wore on we went to dinner and that night at dinner this guy walks past and uh, he was outside the restaurant walking on a little walkway and we said hey that's the guy that wrote oh when we walked past what he had written he wrote a W and this just popped into my mind and I turned to Lori and I said do you know why he wrote that and uh, She said, no. And I said, he had a little brother named William. And his little brother was dying. And the two of them used to write in chalk on their driveway. That's the only thing he could do with his little brother. And one time when they were out writing on chalk in the driveway, uh, a family next to them left on vacation. And the little brother was lamenting, knowing that he was dying. You know, would he ever get to go on vacation again? And the older brother said, promised him that for the rest of his life, anywhere he goes, he'll write a W in chalk someplace. So he's like taking his little brother with him on all those vacations. And, you know, to my thinking, I made that up, okay? At the moment, I thought, I just made that up um, because I can make stuff up like that pretty well. But... (laughs) I got to tell you, when that went through my mind, my heart towards that guy changed. It changed. I was telling Bill Vanderbush this, and, and Bill said, that was a word of knowledge. He said, dude, he said, you, you should have gone up to him and just asked him what happened to William and see, you know, if that was right or not. And I wish I had now done something like that. But at the time, I was on vacation, and I wasn't really thinking in those terms so, so much. But, uh, but here's, here's the takeaway from that. If you, if practice this. This week, find somebody that you don't know and make up a backstory for them, okay? Make up a backstory for them. You see someone walking through the, the grocery store woman in her 70s and she's buying one apple. All right, there's a woman whose husband has passed away. Her kids have all moved to other cities. Her friends are all dying and, and she's living alone. And, and she's living with some sadness over all of that. Now, whether that's true or not, when I start to do that, what it does is, it, it, it's true of someone, okay? That's a true story, believe me. It might not be true of that person, but that's a true story. But if you'll do that, if you'll just take uh, one person a week for the next couple of weeks, what you'll find is your heart will start softening towards all people. And you'll no longer be as, as, as irritated by that other driver that gives you a look when you really didn't do anything wrong. And so this heart of compassion, Jesus wants us to enter in to the heart of the Father. And, and, and it's really the heart of compassion that is the lead element in, in what we have to bring to the world. Now, it's compassion that releases power, okay? Romans 1:16 the apostle Paul said this he said i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes so there paul they, they were saying paul didn't come to rome because he was afraid to come to rome because it was the, too sophisticated for someone like him and so he's writing to the romans and he says no 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 i'm not ashamed of the gospel I'm not afraid to bring the gospel into any culture, however sophisticated that culture might be. And and he says, in fact, the reason I'm not is the gospel releases power. The gospel is the power of God. And what is the gospel? The gospel itself is founded on the love and compassion of the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so this gospel message, when it's presented from a heart of compassion, releases power of God, the power of the kingdom, into the atmosphere around us, into the lives of people around us, and into our culture. So the gospel, the power of God through the gospel. Now, the way we have shared the gospel in the past... um, in addition to guilt-based and shame-based, there's also power-based cultures where uh, you really have to heal somebody. If you heal people, like a power-based culture would be like a tribal culture in South America or Africa where, where there's this whole world of spirits that they live in and fear of ancestors and everything else. In, in that culture, the, the lead element there is, is the power of God through healing. In, in a family-based culture... The lead element of the gospel is you don't have to be alone and isolated. You can become part of the family of God. That's the lead element. In a guilt-based culture, what's the lead element? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've sinned. You're wrong. You did wrong. Therefore, you are guilty and you need to do something about that guilt. That's where we have been. But I want to propose this. That in in a shame-based culture... When the lead element is, you're a sinner. When that's the lead element, here's what people hear. In a shame-based culture, here's what they hear. They hear me saying, you're a rotten sinner. You're a vile person. You're disgusting. You're totally, total disappointment to God. He's livid. And he's about to squash you like a bug, like the slug you are. But, lucky for you, he has agreed to let you off the hook if you're really, really sorry. You can escape that fate if you just clean your act up and say this prayer with me. Then you can be just like me. So what I'm proposing is this. In a guilt-based culture, that's perfect. That, that lead is Perfect. Because we are right and wrong focused. But in a shame-based culture, all it, all it does is... Now, I'm not saying that no one's ever going to get saved in a shame-based culture by the lead of all have sinned. But in a shame-based culture, the thing that draws is not you're a sinner, but it is, you know, you're not what God created you to be. Let's talk about original righteousness. That was a Bill, Vanderburg, Bill Vanderbush... Um, Ism, original righteousness. He said, we talk a lot about original sin, meaning Adam and Eve's sin, which is passed on to us in, in some theology. But what about original righteousness? They were created righteous. What about that? And so the, the, the lead element in this whole shame-based culture is you can be restored to everything God created you to be. I know there are problems in life, and I know we all fail in life, but you can be restored to what God designed you to be because he didn't design you to be unhappy and lost and alone and fearful and being hurt and hurting others. He didn't design you for that. He designed you to live in peace and confidence and joy and to be a blessing to others. He designed you to love others. He designed you to have peace in your life, not impatience. You can, you can be restored to that. And so this is the lead element because it speaks to the, the shame of there is something wrong with me. And then, of course, sin fits into it. It does, obviously. It's not that the gospel is any different. It's just which element of the gospel do you, do you lead with in ministering to your culture depending upon what's happening in that culture. And so, um, so how how's that happen? How's it happen? Well, the lead elements would be God's goodness. You know, the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. Well, let's lead with that then, okay? Let's lead with God's goodness and God's kindness and God's love for people. God's not mad at you. He's not, he doesn't have a hammer in his hand, poised, ready to strike, as soon as you make one more mistake. In fact, here's the truth. 2 Corinthians 5.19. 2 Corinthians 5.19. This is, this is a powerful teaching that is crucial for us sharing the gospel with people in this day and age. He says this. God was in Christ. First of all, stop there. Jesus was not alone on the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, you look at that, and this tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sin of all people for all time, and God was in the process, by doing that, of not counting our trespasses against us. Counting means reckoning, it means that he's cleared the books on every one of us. So forgiveness has already happened. Now you might say, well, wait a second. Uh, why would anybody ever then go to hell when they die? Well, there is one sin that remains. And that's what you see in John 16, 18 through 19. Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says this. He says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm just gonna look at the first one of those concerning sin because they do not believe in me. All right? That is the sin that keeps a person from relationship with God, that keeps a person from receiving and experiencing the restoration. That God has already purchased for them on the cross now the word reconcile in math It means the numbers all add up and the number that comes at the bottom matches up with everything else in the document So it's reconciled now to reconcile relationally is different Think of this you have a brother and a sister who are at odds with each other and let's say that the sister did something grievously offend the brother and then the brother built up an offense against the sister. And this goes on for some time so that although the, 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 the brother didn't really do anything, but he builds up an offense against, and the sister then builds up an offense against the brother. And she's imagining all sorts of things that he did. And then the brother comes to the point where he, where he, he, he forgives her. You're forgiven. I, you know, I forgive her. I release this. I'm not going to hold on to it any longer. And he's, he's opening his arms wide, saying to his sister, you know, I've, I've been reconcil- I'm reconciled myself to this. And in my heart, I'm reconciled to you. Come on. But she has to get over the misconceptions and things she's built up in her mind against him to come back to him in relationship. And so God has said, look, the whole world has sinned. You, you have all turned away from me, but I don't want to lose you. And so I'm going to send my son into the world to die for all of that rebellion. He's going to die for it in your place so that I can say that justice has been done and I can say also, here I am, arms open wide. Sin's already taken care of. What are you going to do? But then the person has to decide, are they angry at God? Have they built up an imaginary case against God? Have, have, do, they, do they think God's responsible for all the problems in their life? Or, or do they just have this notion that God really isn't good? You know, God does bad stuff to you and he calls it good. That's some of the theology today you'll hear. And so that person then needs to reconcile themselves in their heart and mind by just dispelling themselves of all the false notions they have about who God is. And, and rejecting those and turning to him. And so when, when we begin to realize this, then we can begin to see, I think, just a, a, a beautiful way to present the gospel and the truth of coming to know Jesus in our shame-based culture today. It's not that sin isn't part of the picture or that sin, we, don't, we are going to ignore sin. No, it's not. That, that's, that, that it's still part of it. Jesus died for sin. But it's not the lead element. Lead element is, you can be what God created you to be. God is good. He's good and kind, and he wants to know you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And here's how you can. And so, as as we're talking about this power outside the walls, we just really want to tie into this whole notion. It's led with compassion. There's a compassion lead, and, and it's, the, the lead element is the message of God's goodness, of His love and of His kindness, and of His desire to bring us back to original righteousness, so that, so that not, not so we all become church people, or like the old church lady in the uh, Saturday Night Live stuff, but so that we become the purposeful, joyful, confident people with, with real life in relationship with Him that He created us to be. So, 2 Corinthians 5.20 does say this. It says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Okay, so let's say this together. We are ambassadors for Christ, okay? Let's say it now. Boy, you're sharp, I've got to tell you. <laughs> All right, one, two, three. We are ambassadors for Christ. Again, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so he says, God is making his appeal through us. How would God appeal? Would he walk up to someone with a sledgehammer on his shoulder saying, okay, you have, we, we can do this the easy way or the hard way? <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people hear in our culture today. And so that he's making his appeal through us. And so he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You, God's reconciled himself to you you be reconciled to him and turn, turn in your heart to him and receive him, receive Jesus into your life and you become that new creation. Then you, 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 you become that original righteousness person that God created you to be. It changes, it doesn't change your memories or really even who you are, but it changes what you are and it takes you back into the state of what God created you to be originally. So, um, yeah, we have a quick video we're going to watch, just takes a minute, and I think it kind of like highlights this, so let's watch this, okay?
0: I remember growing up in a house where I would jump on my kitchen table and I would see this white powder, and I didn't understand what that was, and I remember hearing gunshots and growing up in an environment that... Uh, it became normal to me. When I was a little boy, being brought up in drug cartels and having a family that was connected to the mafia, seeing drugs everywhere around me, then losing a fiancé, then ending up in federal prison. And for me, that was my bottom. That was the end of my road. I didn't know how to get out of this, and I could only turn to Jesus. And here I was in the situation, but I knew that God could redeem me And so I began to make changes in prison. The moment that I accepted Jesus, it wasn't that I changed who I was. It was that I accepted who I was. And I became who He wanted me to be. And I found purpose, I found meaning, I found hope. God took something so broken and made it a beautiful art piece. And now, seeing my life being redeemed, the story of redemption, that now I have a beautiful wife I have a son, and I get to be part of a community of faith,
1: hope, and love. You heard um, him saying, it wasn't that I became a different person, I became who I was. What he means by that is that original righteousness. And so, um, I hope you can hear the message in this man's testimony but uh, our hope is that each one of us will take a, a step ahead or two steps ahead in our uh, compassion for people and allow that to lead us into deeper relationships with people that will and, and re- result in people coming to faith in Jesus. So we're going to receive our offering right now. So if you're, gonna, if you're one of the ushers, make your way on down, please. The baskets are on your far left side. So. You can pick the basket up and just pass it down the road, please. And um, Yeah, thank you for giving the way you do. Um, if you haven't started giving yet, if you've been coming for a while and you haven't, I encourage you to do that. It's just part of the Christian life. Uh, it, it is part of what advances the kingdom. And, um, and, and so thank you to, to all of you who give so well and so generously. We're going to receive communion today as well as part of our worship service, so if you're serving communion, you can go back and begin to prepare for that right now, all right? So those of you that have been asked to serve communion, go back right now, please, and uh, begin to prepare for that. The worship team's got to come out. And come up. So this part of the service is where we uh, focus our hearts on on God, just Singing to him. A lot of this is prayer. You'll notice a lot of the songs that we sing have, um, have statements asking God to release his life and his power. Or statements that we would call declarations where we're, we're calling out God's power to release his kingdom into the world around us. But my encouragement to you is right now, just ask God as, as, we, as we work our way through this worship set to reveal to you more what it means to walk with a heart of compassion towards others, okay? So Father God, let's all stand, would you please? Father God, thank you for your goodness and your love for us. Thank you, Jesus. So bless this time, bless these communion elements as we take the bread. Give us, give us greater understanding of what it means that Jesus gave his body for us. As we dip them in, in the juice, give us greater understanding of what it means to shed blood, to have your own blood shed, willingly. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen.